Our title of our message today is The Honeymoon is Over, uh, and uh, we're going to continue this message from uh, last uh, last week. It's just a two-part deal. So uh, last week, if you heard my message, I kind of said that it was rated about PG-13 uh, in the movie index, which is, you know, a little sketch. Uh, but today, we're just going to try to keep it G because the kids are here, all right? So if you want something a little more extreme, you got to revisit last week. But anyways... Uh, so that's my goal today. So today I want to speak to three groups of people in our uh, gathering today at Northern Life Church. Uh, by the way, welcome to everyone in Little Current. So glad you're with us today. I uh, pray you've uh, gotten there safely. The roads were like weird this uh, south of us. So I pray everyone got there safely today. Uh, so uh, each of us uh, have a responsibility here. So we have husbands, wives, and children represented in our gatherings today. And each of us will be able to relate to one of these categories in one way or another, that I'm going to speak on today. All right, that's my goal. So let's start with a passage, uh, and we're going to kind of continue from one of the ones we were in last week. It's from Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 15, and I'm getting a little better. Uh, so let's take a look here. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're doing today, right? We're admonishing each other and the teaching the word of the Lord. We've some, uh, sung psalms and hymns, although some people don't call them hymns anymore, but I call them hymns, and spiritual songs. We, we got it all covered. And we've done it with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, verse 18, Wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. All right? So that's where we're going today, verse 18, 19, and 20. I want to read you uh, just a story I found recently. It says this, even the most devoted couple will experience a stormy bout once in a while has anyone ever been in a stormy bout with their spouse if you're not married you can say it wasn't me okay yeah a grandmother celebrating her golden wedding anniversary what's your golden wedding anniversary is it 50 50 okay i was think. i see I'm like, thank you i knew you some of you would know thank you <laughs> not because you're at the 50th well maybe you are but okay there you go <laughs> long past the 50th all right <laughs> Oh, man, a grandmother celebrating, I don't know if I can recover now. A grandmother celebrating her golden wedding anniversary once told the secret of her long and happy marriage. On my wedding day, she said, I decided to make a list of 10 of my husband's faults, which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook, she said. A guest asked the woman what some of the faults she had chosen to overlook were. The grandmother replied, to tell you the truth, my dear, I never did get around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I would say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of my ten on the list. Hope you follow. All right. So our message, the honeymoon is over. In any honeymoon period, things go well. Have you ever bought a brand new car? Anybody? It's okay if you haven't. You get in it for the first time. I love it when it says on the odometer, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 2. Or something like that. I've never gotten one that's all zeros. But, you know, you're like, you know, the last one I got, I think, had a seven kilometers on it. I was like, oh. And the, yeah, the smell, it's like, there's nothing better 
It's like, I've arrived in this moment. It doesn't matter what kind of car it is. You just feel good, right? Well, when you purchase a new car, everything is working, right? It all, it's all good. Especially these days, there's so many sensors in your vehicle, right? And there's no lights, like emergency lights on, like, whoa, freaking out. You know, everything's good. But when that first maintenance issue hits, all of a sudden you realize this is just another stinking car that costs money, right? In our marriages, in our families, when the honeymoon is over, we realize that reality is coming, has come. In that moment, we must step into and step up to the challenge that's before us. So here's our first thought today. Choose love in the home. Choose love in the home. Our home is where our family is. We can live in any location, but our family represents our home. Did you know that? It doesn't matter where you live. You can live in Espanola, Little Current, Sudbury, uh, North Bay, Thunder Bay. Where's all the bays at? Spring Bay. Uh, you can live in all the bays, but it doesn't matter. Home is where your family is. We can live in any location, but our family represents our home. When you are in the covenant relationship of marriage, in case you're wondering, that's what marriage is. It's a covenant between you and your spouse. Never forget, our world, we like to kind of make it sound a little bit less than that. No, no, no. It's a covenant relationship with you and your spouse. When you're in the covenant relationship of marriage, your first and number one responsibility as a husband or wife is that your home is filled with the goodness of God. We want to see God's favor in our homes. That's our goal. We need to recognize, we need to recognize that, man, God, you've done great things in our lives. We need to declare it. Even maybe you're married to a spouse, they don't like. You know, maybe they don't want to talk like you, but you just need to declare it. Declare it when they're not home. That's what I would say. I don't know if that's good marriage advice, but just declare that the goodness of God is in my home. Simply, I would say that his presence, the presence of Jesus is welcome in that home if we declare the goodness of God in our, house, in our homes and in our family. Centuries ago, Confucius said this, the strength of a nation is derived from the integrity of its homes. Man, we're so smart today, right? I don't know, this guy said this thousands of years ago, centuries ago, maybe it was hundreds, I forget. Anyways, Confucius said, the strength of a nation is derived from the integrity of its homes. We need to welcome God's presence in our home. So choosing love in the home. Uh, here's our next one. This is this where, you know me, I like to, uh, uh, yeah, thank you, that's good. Let's leave it up there for a second. Choosing love and submission. You know me, I like to... Sometimes, I don't know if I get a little bit angry during the week, and I take it out on you guys every once in a while on Sunday mornings, and I think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach from a scripture that's really going to agitate some people. Like, I, I don't know, I apologize in advance. If you think, why does he do this stuff? Like, just maybe come, like, uh, do something nice for me during the week to soften me up a little bit, right? So I, when I get to Sunday, I'm a little, I'm okay. Choose love and submission. It's funny that uh, what words become what I call bad words over time. Submission is a quality every one of us should partake in. Did you know that? If you are a Christ follower, you should be a submissive person. Now let me explain what I mean by that. The Bible teaches us that wives should submit to their husbands. Now, some people are already on the keyboard online. I'm going to get them this time, right? The truth is, this is what comes from the Bible. We don't, I, you know me, I don't not say things that are in the Bible. We just talk about them as best we can. 
The Bible teaches us that wives should submit to their husbands. What does that look like in 2024? That's a good question. Submission in marriage is not a form of slavery or subjugation. Let me say what that is. Submission is, uh, in marriage is not, is not a form of slavery or subjugation. Uh, subjugation means it brings someone under domination or control. If you treat your wife like you're dominating her or you control her, you just come visit me and we got a shed. So the kids know about the shed. We got, not because I've been out there with them, but we got a shed and I'll put you in it until the snow's melted. Oh, that's where you belong. Submission in marriage is not a form of slavery or subjugation. This word, uh, submission, originates in the form of a military vocabulary. It means to arrange under rank. Remember that God does everything decent and in order. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 40 says, But all things should be done decently and in order. Whenever you're part of a worship gathering, if it feels unorderly, get out. Some people have said to me, well, pastor, I was at this thing. I felt nervous. I wasn't sure what was happening. If it's unorderly, get out. Well, people, that's, that's why I get upset when uh, people shout out in church the wrong time. Now, I've, I've grown into a larger character physically. So Arlene has told me I intimidate people sometimes, so I have to be careful. But if you see me going like a bull in a china shop, you know that you're, something happened. So either get out of the way or you're the one responsible and I keep charging after you. Everything that God does is decent and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. One commentator wrote this. The fact that the women, the, excuse me, the fact that the woman is to submit to her husband does not suggest that the man is better than the woman. I feel like I need to say that again. The fact that the woman is to submit to her husband does not suggest that the man is better than the woman. It only means that the man has the responsibility of headship and leadership in the home. That's it. Guys, time to smarten up. I hear, I hear stories every once in a while that ticks me off. We need to smarten up. It, 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 oh, well, I should be preaching to the wall today so at least I can spit a bit further. Not, no one will be. Anyways. When this is out of whack in any direction, we have trouble. We do. We got trouble. Headship is not dictatorship or lordship. It is loving leadership. That's what it is. In fact, uh, husband and wife, male and female, every tribe, every nation, every creed must always submit to the Lord and each other. Your wife, it's not just that my wife is the only one that submits to me. Stop that. We're all supposed to submit to each other. No matter who it is, we're to submit to each other. Ephesians 5 verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, pastor, why should I submit? Because we, are, we, we bow at the feet of Jesus. We're, we show some reverence to Jesus. So if you're not submissive, you would never submit to the king of kings. Good luck with that. We submit to one another because of mutual respect under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, commentator said this, true spiritual submission is the secret of growth and fulfillment. 
When a Christian woman is submitted to the Lord and to her own husband, she experiences a release and fulfillment that she can have in no other way. This mutual love and submission creates an atmosphere of growth in the home that enables both the husband and the wife to become all that God wants them to be. Church, this is a beautiful gift and opportunity. I know that it's easy for me to say, you say, Pastor, man, you're the husband. Who cares what you think? Well, okay. I know it's easy for me to say, but I believe there is such beauty in the truth we're speaking about today. Joyful submission is evidence that the wife belongs to Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It, it, it doesn't mean there's no negative, there's no oppressiveness. If there's a negative or oppressiveness attached to that, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Like, seriously. All right, so I talked to the women a little bit, the wives, well, wives in particular. Let me talk to the husbands. Choose agape love. Now, I always find it funny. There's always some, like, old school person that takes this passage out of context and tries to teach me about it. Well, pastor, have you read Colossians? Yes, I have. And I'm reading it to you today as well. You know, pastor, wives are supposed to submit. Oh. Not, I, I got a feeling not in the way that they think. But even if we take it out of context, uh, context husbands are called by Jesus Christ to love their wives. Agape love. In the Bible, there are different kinds of love. We've talked about them over the years. But what does our text reveal to us about the word love today? The love a husband is commanded to give. It's not a choice. I'm commanded as a husband to show and express this kind of love. The love a husband is commanded to give towards his wife is agape love. And this is what it is. The sacrificing, serving love that Christ shares with his church. Well, pastor, my wife hasn't been very submissive recently. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you sacrificed and served her in love the same way that Christ does his church? Because if you haven't, she, you got what's coming to you. You got what's coming to you. Have you sacrificed, have you served your wife in love the same way, not the way the world tells us, no, the same way that Christ shares with his church? Think about it. Husbands, if you're feeling a little queasy, good. Many of our marriages did not start with agape love. They started with a form of romantic. Filial love would be the correct term, I would say. Even a yearning, a desire for the one you're married to. That's what got you into the honeymoon. A yearning got you into the honeymoon portion. But it's over. Honeymoon's over. One word of truth here today among many is that the love we have for our wives or our wives-to-be must grow deep. That love must grow deep into spiritual agape love that only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands must love uh, their wife as Jesus Christ loves his church. Jesus gave his all for the church. He gave everything. 
He willingly died for sinners like you and me. His punishment that was afflicted on him, we're going to, as Easter quickly approaches, we're going to be talking a lot about it. His punishment bought our peace. If you have peace today, it's because Jesus bought it with his blood. That's why. He died for us. And the measure of a man is in, uh, is in the acts of sacrifice and concern for his wife's happiness and welfare. What are you willing to sacrifice? To what lengths are you willing to be concerned about your wife and her happiness and welfare? Husbands are also warned by Paul in Colossians 3, I read it earlier, that they not become bitter or harsh towards their wife. Well, pastor, that never happens. Oh, no? Go sit in the coffee shop during the week, and I hear people complaining about their wives. Don't be harsh or bitter towards your wife. I'm talking to guys, men here, husbands. The reality that each home faces is that a root of bitterness can poison the marriage relationship and give the enemy a foothold in our homes. That's what happens. You know what, you know what guys, I'd like to see? If you see me running out of restaurants, you're going to know why now. Or wherever, the mall and whatever I go. I, I wish every time that we're around other guys that complain about their wife or whatever, we just run away. We just run. If you see me bolting out of places, you know what happened. I, I just wish we would have that much of a desire to honor our, our, our wives that we wouldn't even let someone else's bitterness poison ourselves. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Let's talk about bitterness for a second. And this is something, whether you're married or not, younger or older, it doesn't matter. We can all relate to. A root of bitterness has the potential to spring up in every single one of our lives at any time. Now, we're talking about husbands and relations to their wives right now. But in any, in any human being, bitterness can spring up at any time. And Hebrews 12, 15 specifically speaks to it. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. One root of bitterness in me, if it springs up, can defile everyone in our church. If one root of bitterness springs up in you, it can defile everyone in your life. So I wouldn't say if a root of bitterness springs up. I would say when. When a root of bitterness springs up. I told a few people this. This is just an illustration. I'm not complaining. But I got my snowblower fixed this year. And it worked for about 10 seconds, and then it stopped working. And the problem is, when I go to get it fixed, I lose it for four to six weeks. And I figured if I took it in again, the winter would be gone, and the spring would be here by the time it got fixed. And the snowblower, the engine works, but the chute doesn't. So the chute is locked into a position right now. Pray for my neighbors, because I do my best, but it's just, woo, party time. I got to tell you. The stinking plow this morning came by my house. 
Oh, but there's no snow on the ground. And left this pile. It's like never happened in the six plus years I've lived here. Usually they, they, they put it on the other side of the road. I'm fine with that. The big, the big load is over there. That's fine. But they left it right in front of me. Like a punishment. I'm a single parent right now. I don't got time for this. Man. Man. And then my snowblower, it works, but the chute doesn't turn like it should. Man, and I was out there. I got to tell you, at 7 a.m. this morning, a root of bitterness, it started to come. And I thought, those stinking, stinking. There I was, trying not to put snow on everyone else's property except for mine. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. So my root of bitterness is my snowblower right now. Maybe yours is the same or maybe something different. Yeah, and the snowplow driver, yeah. They're usually pretty good, so I can't complain too hard about them. This leads to a principle each of us must live by in a marriage relationship. We simply must be open and honest with one another. I I talked about communication last week. We must not hide our feelings or lie to one another. I think we'd all agree with that. Even still, we must put this into practice in our lives. Uh, This week, I read this story. I'm going to share it because it was so unbelievable, all right? Uh, I'm in this leadership course uh, for our district, and... um, Anyways, I was reading the material, and I'm like, I can't believe this guy had the guts to do this. So this week I read this story, and it was about a husband who was learning to be a leadership coach. He tried out his methods on his wife. Let me tell you, that's your first mistake. When I, as soon as I read that, I'm like, this brother's in for it. I don't care where he's from, what he's done. It don't matter. He's going to get it. All right. So that was his first mistake. And, <laughs> and the truth is what he found was alarming and sad. I was like, I was... I felt bad for the guy, and I felt worse for his wife. I was like, man, this poor lady. I don't know who they are. Anyways, it said this. It said, during coach training, this is the guy speaking, he, and he's a pastor, so I could relate to it, okay? He said, during coach training, my homework was to listen while someone talks about something valuable in his or her life and then do an evaluation. Why you would ask your wife this? I still, like, I... Okay, God bless. He's got bravery, this guy. Okay, let me read it. So he said, I did this exercise with my wife. After 23 years of marriage, she really started for the first time to tell me her mind. She told me about her past life, youth, her bad father, private things. She was very honest. It was like the first time I met with her spiritually. This is where the tears start to come. It felt like two jars of water being poured into each other. It was such a great experience. She was so happy. I realized that through 23 years of marriage, I had never listened to her. Learning to listen is a gift from God. Both people in this story are responsible, although I think the husband had the brunt of the responsibility. Church, some of us need to listen. And like this brother, maybe it's for the first time. Agape love is sacrificing, serving love that Christ has shown us with his church. So here's our next one. I've talked about wives, I've talked about husbands, and we got the kids with us. So here I'm going to go pick on the kids for a while. 
That's right. You're not getting out. That's right. Here's our next thought. Choose love. Bearing fruit. We talked about bearing fruit last year. Choose love and bearing fruit. Again, we, we touched on this, but uh, verse 20 in our passage says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The marriage relationship and bearing of children is not sinful. It's actually part of God's mandate to us. In the producing of children, a husband and, a, and wife are, are sharing in the creative activity of God. Isn't that amazing? When you bear children, you're sharing in the creative activity of God. That's incredible. The first right of a child is to be born. It's a little controversial these days. The first right of a child is to be born. Another right is to be born into a Christian home where they will be raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, where we become like, where we become Christ-like in our character and actions. So children, the kids, I want you to listen. Children have responsibilities. The kids, yes, you have responsibilities. To obey. Children have the responsibility to obey, to be obedient. Children are to obey in all things, not just the things that please them. Right? Kids are scared. It's good. This will only operate correctly if the parents are submitted to the Lord. Let me say it again. Children are to obey in all things, not just the things that please them. This will only operate correctly if the parents are submitted to the Lord. Each other and love each other and their children. Parents, if you're submitted to the Lord, you're submitted to each other, you love each other and your children. <laughs> it's a lot. It's get, Harder as the list goes on, right? That's where it works correctly. Frankly, this is where many believers today go off the tracks. We, we may love the Lord. We may be doing pretty good with our spouse, but some of the other things, the submission component, the loving our kids despite the stupidness they're doing, it's hard. Submitting to the Lord, loving the Lord, submitting to one another, and loving one another. Remember this. For the most part, children do not create problems. Children reveal them. Let me say it again. For the most part, children do not create problems. Children reveal them. Isn't that humbling to hear as a parent? Your kids' problems, nine times out of ten, 99.9% out of 100, it's revealing what's going on in our homes. It's not just their fault or their responsibility. If a parent cannot discipline themselves, they'll struggle to discipline their own children. One of the greatest disciplines we have, some of our, our older uh, uh, couples will, <laughs> under, the, the people complain about this all the time, but one of the greatest struggles we have these days is our techno technological devices, right? Our iPads, our phones, that kind of thing. And some people will come to me and say, man, my kid, they're so rude. Like, they're just like on the device all the time, and if I tell them to, st to put it down, they won't put it down. So I listen to them. And here's something I've noticed. I'll say, when do you put your phone down? What? I say, well, if you, like, come home for dinner, would you put your phone down, put it away maybe for the night? What? When you're watching the hockey game or the football game, you know, are you on social media while you're watching? Yeah. Texting your friends? Yeah. <laughs> Our kids are just going to do what we're doing. If we can't put it away, why would they? 
Uh, kids, you can't use that against your parents next time you get upset with them. But think about it. Well, my pastor, my kid, they just, they won't put it down. And if I take it from them, they start to foam at the mouth and they cuss me out. And so, uh, it's, I'm not making this up. I've heard these stories. My son Lincoln has challenged me this week. He's chosen to give up some things for Lent. And sometimes I've noticed he struggles giving them up. In part, he struggles because I don't do the best at sharing in that struggle of the things he's trying to give up. And I've learned just in the last few days that I need to support what he's going through. So why can't I give up the things that he's choosing to give up? What discipline do you need to add to your life so that your children will be disciplined as well? Well, pastor, my kids, they just like, they just get up so early and I can't can't do anything about them. Well, discipline them. Say, go back to bed. My kids, they'll tell you, if they get up too early, I tell them, go back to bed. In fact, they're at the point, I'm kind of like a, 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 you know, bowl in the china shop in the morning. If they wake me up, God help them. It's up to, at that point, it's out of my control. Whatever happens, happens. Lord, have mercy on their life. Yeah, they'll go shovel the snow. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they stayed in their room this morning. <laughs> no, but some of us, oh, my kids get up so early. Tell them to go back to bed. Seriously. I, I, I'm going off here. I've had some people in my life, they tell me my kid got up at 4 a.m. It's dark outside. Go back to bed. Well, they'll just play with their iPad or their toys. Not if you put them. I don't know if uh, we have social workers here, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Not if you pick them up gently and place them in the bed. And say, stay there until I come to get you. Now, some of my kids say I'm a little scary sometimes, so maybe you can do this nicer than me, right? But it just takes one time, I'm telling you. And if they do it again, you tell them again. Here's the other thing I've learned. My poor children, they still have to deal with it. You will have a bedtime in my house until you're 18 years old. I got you covered. Let me tell you why. I, I don't know how many of you know this. I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I, mean, I trick people because I'm out in front, but I'm an introvert. When I'm around people too much, I need to be on my own. Do you know I stay up late? I do. I, I, Father, I have sinned. I stay up late. Arlene gets up early, so she's long in bed. I stay up late. I need some alone time. I do. Now, I have an okay-sized house. There's space. There's room for everyone. But sometimes I need my alone time. I don't need to see people wandering in the middle of the night when I'm having my alone time. You have a room. Go into it and stay there. Now, some of you have kids that are a lot younger than mine, and you're thinking, how do you do that? Well, we have boundaries in our home. It's simple. You know, it's not just me. It's my wife as well. We say, this is what's going to happen. Some of us need to put some boundaries in place. This, uh, so you, you guys want to know a secret? Do you want to know why we do, when we do the prayer calls, we do them at 8 o'clock? Do you want to know why? 
I want you to put your kids to bed before the prayer call. If your kid is under like 10 or 11 years old, I don't, this is just my opinion. You can be like, you're a bad parent. I don't agree with you. That's fine. If your kid is under 10 years old, they shouldn't be up past 8 o'clock. Most kids need 12 hours of sleep. Do you know that teenage kids actually need more than 12 hours of sleep? It's actually scientifically been proven. So, you know, there's the kids in the high school. I see them wandering our streets. One walked by our front door at 2 a.m. the other night. One teenager in our town. In the summer, they're out here at 4 or 5 in the morning. We have cameras, so I, can, I see it. And I think, what are you doing? And, the, and it's, it's not just, well, those, that's the people that don't go to our church. Stop that. We need some discipline. What discipline do you need to add to your life so that your children will be disciplined as well? What discipline? Poor Leland. Last night. I was so tired. I got up at 6 yesterday, and I was going all day. And I, I, I did some work yesterday because I, I took some time off on Friday just to relax. So I, I ended up working. It's kind of swapped my days out. And by, like, 9 o'clock, I was like, sweet Jesus, take me now. <laughs> I was so tired. I was just like, I, and, the, you know, the, all, the basketball all-star game was on. I felt bad. I was like, I know they want to watch it. So anyways, poor Leland, at a, it was almost 11, and the, everything wrapped up. I said, I said you got to go to bed, man. It, I felt bad. Saturday night, long weekend, all this stuff. And he, 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 was, he followed my instruction. He didn't put up any hassles or anything like that. He's a good guy. But the truth is, is, like, we can't just, like, you can't just have children roaming. Like, I don't get this. Well, my kids went to bed. Or I went to bed hours ago. I don't know what they're doing. That's just being irresponsible. What if they set your house on fire? We can tell the insurance company, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Think about it for a second. What if they take your car and go joyriding? The police officer, I don't know what they're doing. It's, I don't know why my 10-year-old has my car out in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, seriously. What discipline do you need to add to your life so that your children will be disciplined as well? Worship team, would you come up and save me? One commentator wrote this, It is only as parents submit to each other and to the Lord that they can exercise properly balanced spiritual and physical authority over their children. Do you know, I've had, my oldest son is uh, 14, right? 14? Yeah. Yeah, you're 14, yeah. Uh, so my, I've only gone up to 14 years old so far, but I have been around some people that need some child-rearing in their 20s, if I can say it that way. It is only as parents submit to each other and to the Lord that they can exercise properly balanced spiritual and physical authority over their children. You are raising adults, not children. Do you know what happens when an uh, an quote-unquote adult when they become an adult, but they're actually like a six-year-old or an eight-year-old, they run into people like me, and it doesn't go well. And, and I mean this as respectfully as possible. I like to conduct myself professionally, okay? When I speak to you on the phone, if you call me, I try to be professional. I don't mumble. I speak up. I try to listen to whatever the other person is saying. I'm not the best at this, but if you call me, I try to call you back as soon as possible. 
If you send me an email, I try to respond as soon as possible. Whether you send it to my work email or my, uh, <laughs> my aunt emailed me something last week and I forgot to tell her something two months ago. I was so embarrassed. Because oh. I just, I try to be professional in all my interactions. Some people say, oh, you got back to me right away. Yes, because I respect your time and my time. That's why. But when you just raise children, they become 20-year-old children and 30-year-old children. And then some of them, which I'm almost in this camp, they become 40-year-old children. I've run into some 20-year-old children in the last five-plus years that I have to deal with. If you raise a child instead of an adult, when they run into someone like me, it won't go well. Not because I don't love people and want to support them and want the best for them. But if you can't put into your kid that it's bedtime, go to bed and get up when your alarm clock goes off, they won't do it when they're in their 20s or 30s. Because they don't know how. Seriously, they don't, they don't know how. Do you know that I've actually had to call adults and say, can you please get up and come to where you're supposed to be? Again, when you run into someone like me, it won't always go well. Now, I, in those cases, have tried to be as sympathetic and understanding as possible, but I have my limits. I have my limits. So when we talk about, well, I'm raising children, stop that. You're raising an adult. My grandma said something, uh, it was probably 30 years ago, maybe 25. I'll never forget it. My grandfather's partner in his, the company he owned, the bankruptcy firm he owned, uh, had, a, had a, a kid later in life. So there was like a bunch of older kids, and then there was this younger one, you know. The, well, some people call them the accident, but anyways, we'll just. They're not, a, they're, no one's an accident, but you know what I mean. They're just the ones that came after everybody. Okay. So. I think his name was like Alexander or something like that. And he was a mouthy, yardy kid. Well, when he was three, it was cute, right? When they're a teenager, or when they're nine, 8, 9, 10, 11, or when they're 25, it's not cute. It's not cute. My kids have talked back to me. Of course they did. They did it like... Leland did it 13 years ago. Lincoln did it 10 years ago. They didn't since. Whatever. It's because you didn't talk to your <laughs> one years old. Jeez, man. So they talk back. So I've got to work on some of them still. The truth is, you, t you instruct them, don't speak to me like that. <sighs> Was there tears? Sometimes. I fight my battles. One time I was with Lincoln. I had to go pick up Leland from day camp. We were living in Brampton. And Lincoln was in a phase that he thought he was Iron Man. The Iron Man. He was four, three or four years old. He thought he was Iron Man. So, of course, he had, the, he had all the costumes back then, and he had the helmets. So here I was walking through Brampton with an Iron Man. <laughs> now, if Arlene was there, she wouldn't have put up with that. That was enough. But for me, I was like, I'm going to pick my battles here. So sure enough, I would walk him through the parking lot. Lincoln, walk with me. Hold my hand. He wouldn't respond. Why? Because his name was Tony Stark. <laughs> and when he had the mask on, he only responded as Iron Man. 
So I'd say, okay, Iron Man, walk with me. All of a sudden, Iron Man would come over and walk with me. And people would say to me, oh, isn't he so cute? And I would think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's cute. Of course, we should pick our battles. Parents, we must train and discipline ourselves to encourage our children, not discourage them. Do you know that it's way easier to discourage your children than it is to encourage them? Did you know that? That's easy. I'm good at discouraging. I can do that all day long. The encouragement piece is hard. If a home is truly Christian, it is a place of encouragement. In such a home, the child finds refuge from battles and yet strength to fight the battles and carry the burdens of growing maturity. He finds a loving heart, a watching eye, a listening ear, and a helping hand. He does, uh, he does not want any other place. He does not want any other place. Home meets his needs. In this kind of a home, it is, an, it is natural for the child to trust Christ and want to live for him. Let me read it again. It's my last uh, quote for today. If a home is truly Christian, it is a place of encouragement. In such a home, the child finds refuge from battles and yet strength to fight the battles and carry the burdens of growing maturity. He finds a loving heart, a watching eye, a listening ear, and a helping hand. He does not want any other place. Home meets his needs. In this kind of a home, it is natural for the child to trust Christ and want to live for him. I have these uh, stereo speakers in my basement. I stole them from my parents when I moved out of their house. They can't, they, they, now they say they gave them to me, but I never asked. And uh, so there's these speakers, and my dad bought them uh, as a wedding gift for his, my mom and him when they got married in 1982 or whatever it was. And, uh, and he bought them at uh, Bay Bluer Radio, downtown Toronto. And so I've loved these speakers. So uh, they've gone to different places, but I always find a way of snagging them. Well, I have them in my basement to this day. I've repaired them a few times. They're ugly speakers from the 80s. They're not even that good. They're, they're good, but they're not, like, epic. And uh, anyways, and so uh, when I was a teenager, uh, these speakers were in the basement of, the, of our house. And uh, that's when I was learning how to play guitar. And I, my poor mother... Like, we had it so loud, I blew the Sony amplifier eventually. Like, I wore it out. It just wouldn't turn on anymore. And my, when we, this is the dumb things you do when you're a teenager. We, my brother and I, my brother played the drums, I played the guitar, and we would have it so loud that, you know, the dust is shaking in the ceiling, like the, the fake walls are like, right? And when we came up from the basement, we couldn't hear you speak to us, it was so loud. Like, they'd be ringing in the, we've got some musicians here, ringing in the ears, and my mom would say, she'd be telling me something, like, all I see is a mouth moving, and, like, there's no audio, and I just hear this ringing. My mom, only one time, she, only one time, she would flick the lights to get our attention, like, dinner time or whatever. Only one time, she flicked the lights, and she lost it on us for playing too loud. She should have lost it every time. And you maybe think, oh, well, you only did it every once in a while. Nope. <laughs> every day, 3 o'clock after school for three hours. We were going. Now, we got pretty good. But no, I never, no one ever, yeah, yeah eventually. <laughs> no one ever taught me to play guitar. My brother's a really good drummer. No one ever taught him to play drums. We got pretty good. Yeah, hopefully, we, you know, if you didn't get good, it'd be miserable. 
home is truly Christian, it is a place of encouragement. In such a home, the child finds refuge from battles and gets strength to fight the battles and carry the burdens of growing maturity. If I didn't have those times to learn how to play guitar, and I actually learned how to worship Jesus down there in that basement, because the people I was around couldn't teach me, I'll just say it that much. They weren't very good at worshiping people at our church growing up, at least in the way that I know how now. I, I needed a home, truly Christian home, place of encouragement. Now, I don't know, there's, your story may be different in your house. I met this guy, he travels spray painting churches. They pay him to do it. He doesn't do it without permission. He had to learn somewhere, right? I'm going to end here today. I was supposed to end about half an hour ago. apologize to the kids. We have a lot of choices to make for our lives. We have to choose love in every season. Choose to love God with all your heart and soul and mind. That's a choice we make. Then we choose to love our spouse in every season. Every season we've got to choose. Well, pastor, I don't like them today. Good. You're not going to like them every day. Anyone that's been married more than about a week can tell you that. Right? Someone may say, I didn't like my, my spouse for a whole decade. Yeah, you know, you never know. Choose to love your spouse in every season. Choose love when raising your children in the Lord. You know that the lo- Jesus love, it, like, love in our world, I don't mean to be flippant, but it's so messed up. Like, there's just so many opinions, it's just ridiculous. Choose the love that Christ shows us when raising your children in the Lord. I want to talk to uh, the married couples for a second. I learned something last year, and I had gotten really bad at it. And I realized I wasn't treating Arlene properly uh, when it comes to uh, taking her out on dates. I was doing a bad job. I was bad. She, maybe she, she, had to, she had to choose to love me for a while until I, I figured this out. And, you know, these days, money's tight for most of us. So going out on dates can get expensive, right? You know, if you, if you have kids, you need a babysitter. Or if you, if you don't have kids, like... You know, if you, if you <laughs> there's only so many places you can go in Espanola, so then, you know, you maybe want to take a drive. Well, that costs money, all that stuff. So I got a few cheap date ideas for our couples. Is that all right? Go on a picnic. It's a cheap date idea. Go on a picnic. Don't buy food. Just take the food that's in your fridge. Pastor, all I got is crackers and water. Good enough. <laughs> Get out there. Here's a second one. Run errands together together third one volunteer that's a good one fourth one i haven't tried this one but i'm thinking i should visit a museum we can't do is there a museum in espanola no okay there's one in massey all right webwood's got one right no oh just massey okay blind river's got one okay okay (laughs) you don't have to go to Sudbury. you can go to massey or blind river visit a museum here's a fifth one I, I like this one. Go on a walk. Hmm. Here's my five. The honeymoon is over. Choose love in every season. Would you stand with me and let's pray.